As we start into this lesson today, we're going to do a two-part mini-series starting today, and we're calling it Be Real. Turn to the person next to you and say, Be Real. So I need to go ahead and open up and be authentic with you guys, because some of you weren't here uh, when it happened. I've only confessed this once, and so this is my second time to bring confession. It's good for a pastor to confess his sins. So two Christmases ago, I had been praying for a new laptop. I said, oh God, my, my little Mac is on its last leg, and, uh, and, and I'm grateful for it. Thank God it's a Mac and not a PC. And so, Lord, I, I want to pray, though, that you could give me a new one. And, uh, and, but we didn't have the money for it, and so I was thinking maybe at Christmas some kind of miraculous thing is going to happen. Well, you know, uh, I got a couple of little Christmas cards and things like that, and, and that was about $100. And then my mother and father-in-law gave me $100 for Christmas. I was like, well, $200 won't do it, so I guess it wasn't your will. You know how we do, or whatever, or I'm going to have to do something. And, and so that night... Uh, uh, Christmas Day, uh, uh, that evening, um, my son and I went over to the gas station over at Walmart, and I'm pumping gas, and I hear this guy, hey, man, hey, you got a second? And so you got to understand, I grew up in the hood, so I, I should know better. And these guys like, listen, man, he's got a badge on and everything. He's listen, I work for FedEx. And he goes, and he, he gives me the story. He says, listen, we, um, uh, uh, Apple has done this whole refurbished thing, and they had an overpurchase, and FedEx is kind of responsible for it. And as a result of a mess up, they, they sold these uh, MacBook Pros and these iPads to us as staff at a huge discounted rate, below cost even, just to get them, because they're refurbed, just to get them, just to get them off the truck. And so I was able to buy three or four of them. I got them here in my trunk. Look, I got my staff. He said, look, they're all bubble wrapped. And I'm looking at them. They got stickers all over them and Apple and FedEx and all this kind of stuff. I'm picking up. It's all bubble wrap. I'm like, man, that's it. And, and, and he goes, listen, I, I pay $250 for them, but I'll sell you this MacBook Pro for 200 bucks. I was like, it's the Lord. God's answered my prayers. He sent me a MacBook Pro out of the back of a car in the, in the Walmart parking lot with some sketchy dude. It's the Lord. Surely the Lord knows what he's doing, right? So I said, dude, wait right here. And I go home. I get my money. And Jamie's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, there's this dude. And like, um, he's got these computers. And it's the Lord. She's like, where, is, where are they at? At a store? So I'm like, no, they're out the back of his truck. It's, 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 yeah, it's, it's the Lord. You know, and she's like, are you crazy? I'm like, no, the Lord knows. And so I go and I meet up with him. And, and, uh, and I actually was smart enough so I didn't get jacked or stabbed or murdered. I, I brought one of our, our pastors who, who I'm not going to mention Jonathan's name. But he came and he <laughs> sat in a, in a car uh, across from us. I made him drive his car. So, you know, he was packing heat in case anything really bad went down. I had enough sense for that. And so I get there, man, and the guy's there still. And, and so I walk over, man, and I'm feeling some man. I said, now listen, I'm a pastor, bro. You wouldn't lie to me, right? He goes, no, pastor, I, I wouldn't do that to you. I said, okay, okay, okay. I said, because you know, if, if you lie, lie to, to me, you know, the Bible says that you'll get hemorrhoids. He gave hemorrhoids to people who lied to ministers and stuff like that. He's like, really? I was like, well, that's not exactly how it happened, but that's what will happen. It's not, Pastor, I'm telling you the truth, man. I just got, I got, I got a nephew that I don't have enough money to go buy him Christmas. We're celebrating Christmas, and I needed to get something for him, and I just need some extra cash. I'm like, man, that, all right, praise the Lord. And I handed it to him, and I got it. I got it in my car. Jonathan came over, and we sat in the car, and the guy drives off, and I start unpackaging the bubble wrap, man. It feels so good. And I I want you to know, I bought $200 worth of the best-looking phone books in all of Texas. I, I, I started shaking as I unwrapped it. And then, if you've ever been, see, if you were wicked like I was, it's probably sowing and reaping, and somehow in this whole process, I get to laughing. I'm like, dude, you got me. He got me. But I was so mad because I bought a fake. We're talking about being real today. All of us, each and every one of us have experiences with being fake. Having been 
faked by someone or someone was inauthentic with us. Someone who made a commitment that we thought they were going to follow through with the whole time. They had no intentions of doing it. We've all bought into that which is fake. We've all had these difficulties with inauthenticity. Some of us even uh, today, it's struggle to be in church today because you want to know. I've seen so many fake Christians. I want to know if you're one as well. Some of you are looking at me like he's in a pink shirt. That must mean something, you know, like I don't know because I have this past experience. And you have these difficulties and literally sifting through to try to figure out real. And we've got an entire culture. It's like, you know, we want reality. We want authenticity. That's great. And that's awesome. Well, let's dive into the scripture today and see a little bit about what the Bible says about it. So Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 20. 25 is our, the, uh, our key scripture here. If you'll go ahead and, and, and turn to that, Ephesians 4, 25, it's also on the screens. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Would you say it out loud with me? Repeat it with me. Say, therefore, therefore. each of you must put off falsehood. Let's try it again. Therefore, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood. Now say it to your neighbor. Therefore, therefore. each of you, and tap them on the shoulder, must put off falsehood. There you go. Now, if you don't mind, that's our key scripture, but I extracted that from an entire passage, and since this is a gathering of believers, and this is our celebration service once a a week, if you don't mind, I'd like to go to the full passage so that I don't extract it and and not give you the full picture. Ephesians chapter 4, we'll start in verse 17. It says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separate from the life of God uh, because of ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Now, let me kind of set the pace here a little bit. So Paul is correcting the Ephesian church that he birthed because he's got all these Greeks or these Gentiles, if you will, who've gotten saved, and they're living under this kind of wayward way of living. They're calling themselves Christians, but they're living in wickedness. And you'll see even that he alludes to their sexuality and how perverted they are, but yet they're calling themselves Christians. So he's correcting the Ephesians because some of the Ephesian church is living just like the Gentiles or the way they used to live. And he continues on in verse 19. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. So he's saying, listen, I know that they're calling it grace, and I know that they say that they can live pervertedly like that, and I know that 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 seems almost right, and they're taking doctrine and kind of mixing it and twisting it. He says, but listen, that is not how you were raised up. That is not what you you experienced when you came to Christ, and you saw the truth of Jesus Christ. What happened to you was you not only got full of the Spirit of the Lord, but now for the first time, you took off the old self and put on the new self, and he continues on to remind them to do so. He said, you, however, did not come to Christ in that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Verse 22. You were taught in regard to your former way of life to do what? To put off your old self, which is, compl- which is being corrupted by its de- deceitful desires. Listen, when I became a Christian, my old ways needed to be put off. My old way of thinking, my old way of living, my corrupt self. And it's a process. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It didn't happen overnight. Thank you, Jesus. Some of it did. The rest of it's like, doggone, this stuff is still here. And I can't, I can't get rid of it. And, and, and continuing on, he says, to be made new, verse 23, in the attitude of your minds. And to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. 
Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to his neighbors, for we are all members of one body. So he, he comes back and says, listen, because you have embraced some of this crazy stuff that these Gentile, quote, Christians are doing, he says, listen, you've got to be reminded, take that, you're not supposed to keep putting back on your old self, you're supposed to be taking the old Adam of Cain and saying, ah, get off of me, and start putting back on the new Jesus Christ on my life, the new Adam of Cain. And as I begin to live and walk in the goodness of God, then what happens is that is about as authentic as you can be and he goes forth and he ends it with therefore each of you must put off falsehood so he's saying because you keep trying to say you're one thing but yet you're doing this over here it's falsehood so you got to take the falsehood and take it off and then as a result body of believers christians who sit next to each other people who go to small group together people who say that they are christians and they work with christians therefore you guys got to be truthful with one another so that the body and all of the members can be one so that we can have unity in this whole thing and that's where the problem breaks down is that you and i struggle to be authentic we struggle to be real at times simply because of the past experience someone laughed at us someone manipulated us someone told half truths to us and what we need more than ever before in my life in your life in the church as a whole is we got to be real everybody say be real now, I'm not taking it from Pastor Rick's book, but his book literally is an amazing book. This is my pastor, Rick Bezet, and he wrote a book on the topic called Be Real. And I love his little tagline. It says, because fake is exhausting. Come on, somebody. Isn't that true? And so that's a great book you can pick up on Amazon, Rick Bezet, Be Real. I want to give you a couple thoughts on why you and I fear on being, uh, of being real or being authentic. Number one. If you're really real, or excuse me, if you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. This is one of the main reasons that I found that people struggle to be real and authentic with one another. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. And, and so I've got to kind of keep pretensions. I, I've got to kind of wear this mask. I've got to act like I got it together when really I don't. When really I don't really know what I'm talking about, but because I can blow smoke, you know, it gets me where I need to go. And so what's happening, if you ever see the real me, you probably won't like me. That's one of the greatest fears that we have in being authentic. I had... Um, I have one of my best buds in the world, is a guy named James Gasaway. James is awesome. His wife, Stephanie, and their 100 kids. And I'm actually, you know, uh, uh, you know the uh, uh, godparents to his children. And so he keeps having kids. So I keep telling him, bro, you're going to have to leave a giant will in case something happens because I can't finance all these little munchkins that you're having. And so anyway, I love him dearly. And, but, but James and I, going back, I, I met James a number of years ago, about 15 years ago. And, and uh, he actually came to our church, and, and he had been in church and things like that. And he and his wife started helping us in the ministry and helping us. Uh, uh, lead small groups and stuff for young people. And so every Sunday night in my living room, we sat around in a circle and we did small group life together and, and we're real brutal and authentic and we call it getting spiritually naked. We just pull off all the pretensions and all the masks and just be honest with one another. And, 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 for, and, for, the, and for the first two years, I just it's like we get right there with James. And he go, yeah, you know, I just had a bad week, you know, and, and y'all just pray for me. And then he just kind of mumbled, you know, you know how it is and that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, I don't know. I was like, no, we, you're not, we don't know what you just said because you didn't say anything. And he would do that over and over and over again. And, and it was amazing because he would have these moments with the Lord. And he'd start worshiping and then he'd pull back. And it was like he got right up to the line but couldn't cross over into the deep things of God or to the next phases in his relationship with the living God. He'd get right up to it and then he'd just stop. It was like this thing was constantly pulling him back. And I don't know why, but it took two years. I don't know what that was all about. But... At about the two-year mark, we're all sitting in the living room, and uh, we're talking about things and, and, and praying for one another. And all of a sudden, James goes, yeah, it was like that time I killed that guy. And we all looked at him. He goes, I, I didn't tell you all about that? 
no, I'm pretty sure you had. I think we'd have remembered that one, bro, just saying. I'm just saying. I think we would have remembered that one. He goes, oh, I didn't tell you about that. And uh, he knew good and well he never told us about that. And all of a sudden, he tells us a story. He says, when I was 16 years old, my mom and my stepdad, they went out to eat, and they left us at home. He's us 16, and my little brother was 14, and we both had friends over, so there was four, four of us or so at the house. And he said, and, and just in a stupid moment, I went, and I went to my dad. He's got, he, my stepdad had a lockbox. I knew the code, and I got his gun out. He said, I looked at it. You know, I'd been proficient with a pistol, and I looked at it. didn't have any bullet, bullets in the chamber. I couldn't see any. He said, didn't have any bullets in the chamber. Just being stupid. I want to show my buddy. And then, and then you know, I, I put, picked it up in the air because they were like, you might have bullets. And I pulled the trigger. Of course, it didn't have anything. And he said, not. And so we, we were messing around, farting around. We've been doing it for about 30 minutes. So I'm pointing it at him, pulling the trigger. And, of course, there's no bullets in it. And he goes, and I go to put it up. He said, I go to put the gun up, and I go walk up right up to my friend and said, the last one's for you. And he says, I pulled the trigger, and unbeknownst to me, but my stepdad kept one bullet in the chamber, in the last chamber, so that if someone was to break in, he would just move it from the last chamber and rotate it backwards into the primary chamber. And so he said, and when that happened, that bullet went through my best friend's uh, brain, and he fell down and died in front of me. And so he's got our attention at that moment, obviously. We're all just like, you are like, whoa. He said, but then what transpired from there was the worst thing I've ever been through in my life. That was horrible. He said, but then from there, uh, you don't understand how people treat you when that has happened. He said, first off, the DA decided that they were going to prosecute me, but they were going to limit, they were going to let it linger for a couple years until I turned 18 so they could prosecute me as an adult. He said, and then, of course, I went back to school, and everybody's like, he's the guy who killed our friend. He's the guy. He's the guy. He's the guy. He said, so I had to leave that school. He said, and then, of course, I I sunk into a depression. He said, now, obviously, I'm 16, 17 years old, turning 17 on my way to 18. He said, I get into all kinds of drugs, and I start robbing places. And he said, I just went crazy. He said, and so it came that once I turned 18, the district, uh, the, uh, the district attorney decided to prosecute me, and they were going to bring me in on a Friday uh, to meet with me and our lawyers. And he said, and so my mama, being a spirit-filled lady, got me at the house and got every lady she knew that loved God and could pray set me in a chair, and they lay hands on me and cast every devil out of me. <laughs> Made up devils, he said. They just began to break things and pray against all the, the pain of life and suffering. And he said, and so, you know, I don't really know if anything happened, he said, but, but you know, I, I felt like God might halfway like me. He said, and I went there, and I met with that district attorney, and that district attorney, after she heard my story, she said, you know what, I think this was just a grave mistake, the mistake of your life. So we're not going to prosecute you. He said, so I got off of it. He said, but I've carried that thing forever. And he started weeping in front of us. And we laid our hands on him. And something supernatural happened. We're weeping. He's weeping. God comes in the room. And I want you to know something. A curse broke broke off of him. Up until that point, he'd work a job. He'd make, you know, he'd take three steps forward and five steps backwards. He'd take five steps forward in life. And he'd take, and then somebody, you know, he'd wreck his car. And it's like always all this junk on him. And it's because what was down on the inside, hidden, couldn't come to life. But the moment it came to life, it brought freedom. It brought life. He felt surrounded. The thing that you fear that we won't like you, I promise you, God has a plan to deliver you from that and give you a group of people who will love you and take care of you. Isn't that good? Say yes. So here's the a, here's a second reason why people fear being authentic, and that is number two, is because the real me might hurt someone. Some of you are scared. If we ever saw the real you, it would hurt us. If we ever knew that you had molested somebody years ago, we may never be able to interact with you again. If we ever knew that you had this problem back in the day, it would hurt us. Now, you guys that are a little younger, you won't know what I'm talking about. Anybody my age or a little bit older, in the 80s, early 80s, there was a TV show You know it by the big movies that they put out. But there was a TV show called The Hulk. 
Anybody remember the, the, daily, the weekly TV show? And uh, Bruce Banner had gotten hit with gamma rays, and he's this dark individual because, you know, everywhere he goes, um, he's trying to run from the problem so he doesn't ignite the Hulk. And, and everywhere he goes, people are always messing with him. And, 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 he's, and he's trying to just get through life. And they all, the, 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 whole opening, uh, the whole opening scene is him walking down the street, you know, down this lonely highway, hoping to get picked up to go to the next city. But once people get to pushing on him and messing with him, and he's got this famous statement, he looks at the person who's pushing on him, and he says, you don't want to make me angry. You won't like me when I'm angry. And, and, you know, if you're watching the TV, you're like, give him the hope, baby, come on! You know, but the little other character sitting there like, oh, yeah, we're not scared of you. Oh, yeah, we're not scared of you. And you're sitting there going, turn the Hulk loose on him, baby. Come on. Put the smack down. And then Joe Ferrigno pump, jumps out of something you know, with green paint all over him. You know, it just worked out. Anyway, sorry, it was a great 80s version. But the whole theme is you don't want to make me, you won't like me when I'm angry. I think that's how some of you are. I think you're scared of being authentic because you're scared we won't like you because you're going to hurt us. Because the real you is violent. The real you is messed up sexually. The real you, as you perceive it, is literally an emotional basket case. And anyone who gets close to you, you destroy them by way of marriages. You've been through three or four divorces or whatever it may be. You, you keep going back to the same old drugs that you said you, that you, that you weren't going to go back to. So you have this fear that being authentic is going to cause you to hurt someone else. Friend, I want you to know that's a lie. Because Jesus Christ is bigger than any problem, any situation that you've incurred, any difficulty that you've been through. Whether you've been molested or raped or mishandled or taken advantage of, Jesus Christ can heal you. And I want you to know something he loves you and he loves me and he loves us just the way we are just the way we are go back and listen to last week's message it'll help you okay here's the third reason that we are the third fear of being authentic and that's number three the third reason is because you and i will have to change i meet this a lot with folks they can't be authentic with me or with others because they know the moment they are they're gonna have to change because do you know what accountability does do you know, it, it, let me tell you, the problem with accountability is that it forces us to change. That's why nobody wants to be accountable. That's why it's easy just to sign up for a membership and go to the health club when you feel like it. But if you get, if you get you one of those coaches and they call on you, and they, that's why nobody wants a coach. Because if I get a coach, I've got to be accountable to what he told me. That's why nobody wants to have spiritual leaders in their life because then I've got to be accountable for what they told me. And I don't want to be accountable because then I'll have to change. And so what most people do is they'll just move on from that relationship. I don't want to be accountable. I'm going to just leave this church and go to another. They finally saw through the bushes and they saw deep into who I am. And now they, now they know and now they're trying to change me. And I don't want to be changed. I like what I am. I like being messed up. It's my identity to be like this. It's who I am. And I get sympathy and empathy from everybody else about it. I don't want to become a healthy individual. I like being this way. And that's the problem with accountability is you and I don't really want to change. But I tell you, when you get to the heart of the living God and he says to you, I love you so much, but I love you enough not to let you stay where you're at and to continue growing you and maturing you into a person who's valuable for kingdom business. That's the goal of all of us as Christians. I'm still growing up. You're still growing up. As a result of this whole message, I felt like I wanted to illustrate this. There's a group of guys called the Skit Guys, and uh, I couldn't afford to bring them here, but they made a video that I thought was really relevant to this message, and it maybe help you. So play that video for them, Skit Guys. Come on, give it up for that. It was awesome. <laughs> you know, I was, I was thinking as we... as as we were talking about being real, I just had this whole concept. It's, 
about Judas, Judas Iscariot. I mean, he's considered to be the fakest man on the planet who said he loved Jesus. And then not only did he sell him out, but uh, he took money for it. And, um, and I was thinking about this whole concept of Judas being this person. The scripture doesn't tell us a whole lot about him. We knew that he took care of the money uh, for Jesus, for the ministry. We know that, uh, you know that Jesus called him. He obviously went with all the other disciples to lay hands on people and heal the sick and cast out devils. And he obviously had a part to play in the ministry. And it was a very important part. He's one of the 12. And, and, and I've told you this before. In Jewish concept, um, what, what they were expecting to happen was that the Messiah would come and set up his kingdom and that he would destroy the Romans, he would make them his slaves, and that the Jews would once again rise to power and be a world power under their Messiah, under the Messiah who would set in place all things right. That was their concept. So when Jesus comes to earth, and they're running around saying, we think we found the Messiah, and Jesus actually picks Judas, I would imagine that Judas had the same expectation, that he's now going to be the CFO of a world, of the, the world ministry under the Messiah. I would imagine... If you will, we could just have a little bit of liberty here. What if Judas had a little girlfriend? What if he had a gal that he was engaged to? And, and, and all of a sudden, Jesus comes along and says, come, follow me. And so, I, you know, he calls her and says, listen, I've met the Messiah. What? Oh, my God. That's right. And look, he's going to be doing some traveling. So listen, for just a couple of years, we're going to set up the kingdom. It's going to be magnificent. It's going to be unbelievable. And sweetheart, listen, I could never provide for you like I'm about to be able to provide for you. I'm going to be the CFO already. They're entrusting me with the money. I'm going to be the CFO of the Messiah's worldwide kingdom. And, and, and it's going to be a magnificent. It's going to be awesome. So listen, sacrifice for two years, and then we're going to have this great, wonderful life together under the Messiah. We can't miss this it's the job of a lifetime okay okay just keep me t- tell me when your place is and make sure you call and email and let's facetime as much as possible okay great 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 and so he goes along with jesus and, and crowds are coming and blind eyes are opening dead people are raising from the dead and he is in it and then one day the pharisees start saying he's not the messiah you group your whole life trusting these spiritual men surely these spiritual men recognize their own messiah Surely the leaders of the Jewish community, the godly folks who kept you right with the Lord all these years, surely they recognize the Messiah. And they're going, he's not the one. He is not the Messiah. He breaks this law. He heals on the Sabbath. He hangs out with people who drink. And it goes down through the list. And so you're sitting there wondering, I would imagine Judas is going, wow. Well, that's okay because he's doing miracles. And then one day, Jesus stands there in front of everyone and says, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And you're like, uh, yeah, I don't really, that's kind of creepy. Eat of your flesh and drink of your blood. We're going, you know, zombie apocalypse? What is this? What are you talking about? They're confused. Jesus, I mean, he just drops the mic. People begin to leave him. Disciples begin to flake off. Jesus asked his disciples, are y'all going to leave me too? People says, no, where else are we going to go? You alone have the words of life. But I imagine Judas is sitting there like, oh my goodness, I bought a bad stock. I mean, I, I, I've signed up with David Koresh. Oh my goodness. And it keeps getting worse and worse. People are leaving the ministry. Come on now. They don't have the money they used to have. They don't have the popularity they used to have. In fact, everybody's talking about killing him. At one point, they go into one city, and they get so fired up at him, they try to kill, they try to kill Jesus. He, has to, he literally has to pause everybody, and they're all frozen. He walks in between them. Can you imagine being Judas? Like, oh, my goodness, sorry, buddy. <laughs> and he's walking in between all these frozen people who can't, who can't, they can't, they can't crucify him. I mean, they can't stone him. It's not the time. 
And then it gets serious. And they're plotting and planning. They start coming to Judas. Listen, you got the wrong dude. This is not the Messiah. I don't think, or I think there's a precedence here that maybe Judah, Judas wasn't the Judas. You did a Judas. I don't know about you, but I'd hate for my name to go down in history as a Judas. When you say his name, you're talking about a backstabber. Come on, you're talking about a fake. You're talking about a hypocrite. Isn't that what, what we're talking about when you say that dude was a Judas to me back in the day? That's what you're talking about. I don't think that Judas intended to be a backstabber. I don't think his intention was to, to uh, literally throw Jesus under the bus. I think what probably happened, if I'm, I'm just guessing, there's no precedence for it. But I think probably what happened is somewhere along the way, he got disenfranchised. Somewhere along the way, he got offended. Somewhere along the way, what he thought it was going to be, it didn't become that. And as a result, he became the hypocrite that he was. And once he realized what he had done, what does the Bible say he did? Matthew says he went out and he hung himself. Went out and killed himself. Because he realized, whoa, I am the great, I'm the great, I'm the great hypocrite now. Because I was standing there saying amen, and now here I am selling him out for 30 pieces of silver. Friend, listen to me. I don't think that any of us plan on being hypocritical. I don't think anyone in this room or anyone in the church life, I don't plan on stabbing you in the back. But I've hurt people, and I didn't know I was doing it. None of us plan on being that, and none of us all want to be. Everyone says, yes, I want to be real. Yes, I want to be authentic. Uh, Yes, I praise God. I want to be someone that can be trusted. None of us plan on being a person who's a deceiver or a person who's a hypocrite. What happens is life throws us curveballs, and we can't hit them. And as a result, before you know it, we become the hypocrite. We become the inauthentic person. We become the person who's not real anymore because we have literally bubble-wrapped ourselves so no one can get to us to hurt us again. And now that continues to propagate. And our children see us do it, and our coworkers see us do it. And before you know it, we have created this whole hypocritical Christian society because we don't know how to be real, because we don't know how to be authentic. And my goal in today's message is that you and I could get delivered from it. But the first thing I want to do is I want to take two lies associated with authenticity. Two lies that I have found associated with authenticity. Number one, if I think it, I just have to say it. I'm sorry, I just got to be real. Okay? I mean, I just got to be real. I mean, I can't, I can't, look, I just got, if I think, if, if that's how I see it, that, I just, I can't, I can't lie about it. I got to be real. Listen, let me tell you actually what the Bible says. The Bible says it like this. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. If I did everything I thought about, or if I said everything that came across my mind, I could not be the pastor here. Neither could you. You couldn't even be a member here. I don't know what that means, but we, we just wouldn't. If I allowed every wild thought that the enemy threw at me and I went, oh, hey, right, that's right, they do need to be shot right here. And what I have learned to do, according to Scripture, is to take those thoughts captive and say, no, 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 no. Just because I thought it doesn't mean it's reality. Come on now. Just because I, I had these, these things and these emotions and these thought processes doesn't mean that they're truth. And I'm going to surrender my mind to the truth of the living God. I'm not going to act on those thoughts. I'm not going to speak on those thoughts. Don't call you being real when really you're just being rude. What you need to do is take those thoughts captive and make them submit to the living God. This is the great lie that I see people, oh man, I, I just got to be real. I just got to be real. I'm just going to be real. I'm sorry. I can't be a fake. There's a difference in telling the truth in love and speaking hardship that hurts other people. And now you're propagating the whole problem that we have. Here's a second lie associated with authenticity. And that is, I, I'm sorry. I just can't help the way I feel. This is just how I am. God made me this way. This is just who I am. I was made this way. There's nothing I can do about it. Friend, that's not true. That's not true. I'm always working with my homosexual friends. Listen, God didn't make you that way. 
You bought into a lie. Look at the scripture that supports that here in Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So grace, that ha- the grace, everybody talks about grace. Grace is not God saying, keep doing what you're doing. I have grace on you. Grace on you. That's not actually a perfect picture of grace. Continue reading. Because grace that comes from God that's appeared to all men, it teaches us, verse 12, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. Grace is not a get-out-of-jail-free card to do however or live however I want to. Grace comes upon me and it gives me the power and teaches me to say, no, that's wicked. I don't want to be like that anymore. No, I throw off that old self. I want to be like Christ. Grace is the ability from God, the goodness of God to give me a distance, to give me, to give me a journey point, to give me a time to work through that and say, I don't want to be like that, God. I, I hate that I, that I, that I feel this way and I sense this way. I hate that I grew up this way. I hate that I'm this way. Listen, those of you that are prejudiced, God wants to work that out of you. That's not truth. That's not how it's supposed to be. He wants to work that out of you. And grace gives you the room and the space to begin to say, no, I don't have to live like that. That's what grace is. And so the lie that, oh, well, that's just how I am. I'm sorry. You just got to put up with it. I'm just a jerk. All my kids are scared of me when I come home, but that's how I was raised. That's how my daddy raised me. That's how I whoop all, I'll beat all of y'all just like my daddy did to me. No, friend, that is not being authentic. That's you not allowing God to grow you. That's you not allowing grace to change you into the image of the living God. My goal is not to be the best Adam McCain. My goal is to be like Jesus because the best Adam McCain can ever do is die and be miserable, and be worthless. But in Christ, I can live, and become like him, act like him, talk like him, start being like him. Isn't that good? Say yes. So let me give you a couple other thoughts. We're going to skip for sake of time, and I had another whole passage, but let's just jump down to the power of being real. I want to give you a couple thoughts of what happens when you and I are real, when we're authentic, when we pull off the mask and say, Jesus, have your way. First thing that happens is it brings freedom. It brings freedom. Some of you are so scared that if you're authentic, that it's actually going to cause you more problems. Uh, when, you're, when you're raising children, how many of you have children? Let me see, show of hands, have children. When you're raising children, one of the things that it's hard to teach a child, especially when you get to that stage, is that telling the truth that you did that is actually better for you. Because they're like, how in the world is that better for me? I'm about to get whooped. How is that good? You've got to be lying to me. And so what do they do? Naturally, no one had to teach them. No one had to coach them. There's no manual that they read and said, oh, lie about it. And you'll get out of it. They do it naturally. We do it naturally. We become inauthentic. We become fake naturally because we don't want the ramifications of the situation that we've gotten ourselves into. But can I tell you something? Truthfully, that the Bible says it like this. Here's, here's Matthew, uh, excuse me, John 3, 8, 32. That you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you go on our website, you'll see a testimony by Matt and Cherish. Uh, Matt and Cherish are this couple that, that had, years ago, we had been youth pastors, and they were in our youth ministry, and uh, Cherish is uh, Pastor Robert Baxter's uh, daughter. Great family, great, b- both families, great families. Uh, and um, Matt shares his testimony, so it's okay for me to share it publicly, and it's on our website. You can go back and hear the details better. But Matt um, had, had married Cherish, and Matt had a, um, he had a consistent problem of being unfaithful. And, um, and so, come to church, wife, kids, take the kids to the kids' church, sit in church with his wife, do just like he's supposed to do as a good, quote, Christian, say, love the Lord, lift a hand every now and then when the worship felt really good. 
And said, he, he, according to his testimony, he was sitting there one day and he's been with multiple women. His wife has no idea about it. He's been unfaithful over and over and over again and is in, a, is in an adulterous affair even as he sits there. And Matt tells the story that as the pastor was preaching, for whatever reason, for whatever the, the moment was, that God opened the heavens and for the first time in forever, Matt felt the depths of his sin. He felt the destruction of it on his life and on his family, his wife and his children. And on the people he's been sleeping around with. And he felt it. And in that moment, he responded and began to weep uncontrollably. Pastor gave an altar call. He ran to the front. They laid hands on him. Bam, it was broken. He's delivered. He's, he's free. He, he feels the freedom. Mm. And so, his wife's so excited. Wow, man, you really respond to the Lord. This is awesome. He, he's not telling her. He's had these secret things hidden. And uh, a couple days into this new wonderful experience with Jesus, the Spirit of the Lord speaks to him and says, you need to tell your wife that you've been sleeping around on her. He says, Lord, if I do that, she's gone. She's not big enough to handle that. I'm not big enough to handle it. She's going to leave me. And the Lord said, whatever it takes, but you are free because of truth, not because of lies. True freedom ultimately is because of truth. And every time you and I hide truth and pretend and, and stuff it down in the, the lower recesses of our heart and our soul, it only grows down in there in darkness. That lie grows until it totally takes over us. And that's why we can't be authentic or we can't be real. And so he says, Lord, I'll do it. But you just know it's I want you, so I'm trying to walk in obedience. So he tells her. And as would be the result, she's, she's horrified. She's broken. She's been faithful. He's been unfaithful. They've been going to church for a couple of years. Got two kids. It's crazy. And uh, to hear him tell it, you, you ought to watch the video. It's pretty impactful. And, um, and so basically what happens is she goes and stays with a friend. She wanted to go stay with her family because she just doesn't even want to deal with it, I think is how she tells the story. And the Lord gave her a miracle in her heart to forgive him. It's unbelievable to hear her tell it. It was like, I mean, I mean, even as a pastor, she comes to me and says, what's your counsel? I mean, the scripture does release her from a marriage because of, uh, because of adultery. But the, love of, the, the, the law of love doesn't. It causes us to love unconditionally. And so she had this impactful moment with the Lord where he gave her this unconditional love. And she goes back, she forgives him. And when, you, when I tell you they are one of the most amazing couples who are following Jesus. And, I mean, they're adopting kids that no one else wants. I mean, they are living in the power of the living God because of that truthfulness. The first benefit to being real and authentic is that literally the truth will set you free. He said, I can't figure out why I still have this problem because you've never been truthful about it. I can't understand why. It's like I keep going back to the same sin. Yeah, because you hadn't been truthful about it. That's the starting point. Second piece that I've learned uh, through Scripture about the power of being real is that it brings healing. It brings healing. So James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be, everybody say it out loud with me, heal. One more time. So that you may be, one more time, one more time, that you may be, so Confess your sins one to another and pray for each other that you may be healed. Let me explain to this. I explain this to people all the time. So when I sin, I picture it like this, that Satan has hit me, literally an arrow. Whether I was in the wrong spot, I shouldn't have been in. I was doing something I shouldn't have been doing. Whether I willfully or unwillfully got myself in that situation, sin got in me. And it's like an arrow. The Bible talks about it a little bit, but it's like I've been stuck with an arrow. And so what happens is when I repent, God removes that sin. 
And when he sees me, he no longer sees that sin, that arrow of the enemy. He never sees his talons in me. He sees, when I repent, those are removed, and he sees the blood of Jesus covering me. He sees me as a redeemed son. You say, well, do I have to do 25 Hail Marys? No. When you repent, say, oh, God, I, I recognize my sin, and I ask you to have mercy on me. Forgive me. You don't have to do that at church. You can do that in your living room. You can do that in front of the computer that you looked at porn with. Whatever. You can repent. And the Bible says he is faithful and just to forgive us and all of all unrighteousness. You're forgiven in that moment. But here's the problem that most people don't understand. The arrow may be removed, but what's still there? Festering. Because confession brings healing. Because there's accountability. That's why you got these jokers who oh, I repented, I repented, but they keep going back to the same sin. That's why Hebrews says you keep, you're trampling underfoot the very blood of Jesus. You say that you love the Lord, but you say you're repenting, but what you're doing is you're just going right back to that same mistake. You're making his name of no avail. You're trampling underfoot what he did on the cross, and you're treating it with dishonor. And that's why when I see a person repenting, usually you can sense if it's legitimate repentance because they want to make it right, whatever it takes. I don't care. I'm not going to live like this. Then you have those people. Come on, we all had kids. I'm sorry. Am I okay? Can I go play now? Like, no, sit your butt down. Ain't going nowhere. I don't care if you did say you were sorry, you know. And, and, and I think that's the difference in attitude. And so, according to this passage, when we confess, it brings healing. Some of you are still festering because no one knows. That's what's happened with my friend James. No one knew. Can I tell you something about James? No matter what he did, he couldn't get ahead. It was amazing. And what, in business, in his marriage, nothing. Now they couldn't get ahead. Once that confession came out in front of all of us, and we surrounded him, and we did like the scripture, and we prayed for him, in that moment, it's like something broke. It was like something spiritually happened and shifted. And all of a sudden, the light of God came down. And can I tell you something? That dude, he's going to, God has so blessed him, he's going to be so mad that I say this. He's going to end up being one of the richest people I've ever known. I'm telling you, God has so promoted him in the business that he's in. Don't you call him and ask him for a donation. He is the great, he is a real man of God. But let me tell you something, he went through it. Are you there? Say yes. Stand with me all across the room. You guys have been so gracious to me today. We're talking about being real, being authentic. When we come back next week, we'll talk about how can we do that in the church environment. How can we do that amongst ourselves? talk about what it used to be like before we were Christians and we had all our little buddies and we were real, but we've lost that sometimes once we get saved and have kids and get married, things like that, in that order. If you'll just bow your heads with me for just a moment, I want to pray over you. What keeps you from being real? What are you scared of? So well, the last time I shared, confessed, it ended up all over the church. And, uh, and so I have bubble wrapped myself so that'll never happen again. Uh, the last time I was brutally honest, I lost a job, so I'll never do that again. But listen to me. You'll know the truth. It'll set you free. Momentary light afflictions they have no bearing on eternity. But as bearing on eternity is how you and I live for the Lord. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you a moment just to be with Jesus. I'm not going to do any kind of fancy-smancy altar call and you've got to do anything special other than just be with the Lord. I'm asking you to learn to be real even in this environment. And if you've been hiding something, you've been shameful about something, you've been embarrassed about something, you've not even talked to the Lord about it, 
you have, like a child, you passed it over and you didn't clean up your spilt milk, but you called it repentance because you said you were sorry. This is that moment. Say, Lord, I'm so sorry. I ran right past that. Lord, speak truth to me so that I, I can be forgiven, so I can have freedom. With every head bowed and every eye closed, Lord, I bless your people right now. I bless them. Lord, that this church would be a church that's full of authentic people. Lord, once they know the real us, yeah, it'll be scary. Yeah, we're a little bit, have a, lot, a long way to go to still be like you. And we bump into each other and we hurt each other. But Lord God, you put us here together. All of us. You brought us here for such a time as this. And this is, this is what we're here to learn, is how to be authentic with other Christians and how to be real and, and, uh, and love each other unconditionally, even though we make each other mad, we hurt each other. Jesus, teach us first to be real with you and stop playing games and teach us how to do that. that. Some of us don't even know how to do that. And so, Lord, right now in Jesus' name, I pray every man and woman in this room who's interacting with you would hear your voice, that they would hear you saying, I love you, I forgive you. They'd hear you say, listen, on this day at this time you did this and you still hadn't made that right. You need to go fix that. They would understand that the great God of heaven and earth loves us so much that he's poured out grace and that grace is helping us to say no to sin. It's helping us to become like you, Jesus. As you contemplate your time with the Lord here for a moment, I'd like to pray for those who say, Pastor, can I be honest? I'm not a Christian. I'm away from God, man. I, I used to serve God, but life happened. I walked away. I'm telling you right now, if I died, I wouldn't go to heaven. He'd look at me like, dude, what's up? He wouldn't welcome me and say, oh, I'm proud of you. Pastor, I don't want to live like that anymore, and I, I want to be right with the Lord. Maybe you're in this room, and you've never been a Christian. You've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. Maybe you went to church, but you've never had a relationship, best friend relationship with Jesus Christ. Never had his Holy Spirit live and abide in you and empower you to be like him. Never had that. Friend, I want to offer you the relationship with the King of glory. You say, what do I have to do? Nothing. He did it all. He died on the cross. So I know that sounds so simple, and I know it sounds so rhetorical. People keep saying it all over the place, and it doesn't really maybe hit the spot sometimes for you, but it's truth. He bought and paid for it. All you have to do is accept. The gift of salvation is yours for whosoever would. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you want Jesus in your life, either you've been away from him or you want to accept him as your Lord and Savior for the first time, if that's you, would you be courageous enough to admit that and let me pray for you by lifting your hand and saying, Pastor, that's me. I need to be right with the Lord. Thank you, sweet, sweetheart. Thank you, sir. God bless you. I see your hand. Anybody else? Yeah, I see it, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, sir. So many amazing. This is real authentic folks here. Yes, I see it. You can put it back down. Once you get it up, make sure I see it back there. God bless you, sweetheart. Anybody else? Come on, there's already been about 10 of us or so. Anybody else? Say, pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm tired of running. I'm tired of living like this. God bless you, sir. God bless you, son. Some amazing people. Oh, my God, these are the coolest people on the planet, being real and being authentic. You need him just like I needed him. He'll change you just like he changed me. He'll forgive you just like he's forgiven all of us. Anyone else? About two seconds. I want to make sure you have a moment to, to admit that so I can pray with you. Amen. Every hand down. Those of you that lifted your hand, I want to pray with you. I'm going to lead out. In fact, I'm going to ask you to repeat this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about the words. What's supernatural is you admit, I need God. I need a Savior. 
That was supernatural. Then it was supernatural that you lifted your hand and responded. Now the supernatural exclamation mark at the end of the sentence is that we're going to pray and commit ourselves to the Lord. If I was at a club or I was at a party or something and I had these friends and I brought you over and I introduced you to my best friend and then walked away and y'all started a friendship, that's exactly what's about to happen. I'm about to introduce you to my best friend and we'll start the conversation in a prayer of repentance. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, those that are here and lifted their hand, I want you to mean this prayer with all of your heart. Everyone else, if you'd say it out loud as well so they're not by themselves. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, I love you. Here and now. I decide I need you and I'm asking you to forgive me forgive me of my sin of my rebellion and I ask you fill my heart with your Holy Spirit fill me with your love and your compassion wash me clean of all the desires all the junk and here and now I give myself to you write my name in your book of life because I'm yours forever in Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray for every man and woman who lifted their hand, those that wanted to and just couldn't quite get the courage to do it. Father, I pray right now in Jesus' name they would feel and sense forgiveness. They would sense it. Sense it. Their mind might be lying and say, oh, that wasn't enough. You got it. No, no, no. That they would sense it in their knower down in the depths of the God has done it. It's done. They don't have to perform. They don't have to give money to the church. They don't have to go do 25 Hail Marys. They can just receive the compassion and the freedom of our God. And Lord, right now, let every layer begin to peel off. All that bubble wrap just begin to peel off and get down to the real part of who they are. Now, Lord, remake us. We take our old self and we set it aside. We put on the newness of Christ. Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name that this church be a group authentic Christian. Would you just reach over, grab the hand of that person next to you? And would you just take a moment, would you agree with me that you and I would be real? Would you just do that and pray for the person next to you? Lord, that we just be real. Just a little simple prayer. You don't have to, you don't have to go in some long piece. But Father, just help us be real with one another, with you. God, teach us what it is to be authentic. Lord God, keep us from the lies that say, well, I can be rude and call that real. Father, help us right now in Jesus' name to even see what we don't see, the blind spots. And then, Lord God, I thank you. You're going to coach us out of the old self into the new self. Father, we thank you that you have planned a great destiny for us and that you love us with all that you have and all that you are. And we receive that love now in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen and amen. Can we give Jesus Christ a hand? Clap and praise. Thank you.